Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. Good afternoon, folks. Happy Good afternoon, Tuesday, folks. and welcome back to another edition of the Torah Teachers Roundtable. As a matter of fact, this is the Tanakh edition of the uh, the Torah Teachers Get Together, and uh, we are happy once again to welcome back a good friend and a new associate. We hope you will enjoy him, and we hope he's in having a good time here, and that he'll decide to continue and keep on doing this. But uh, we certainly have uh, have loved having him. Ray Harrison got Mark Patron online as well, and we're talking about uh, the fascinating book of the prophet Yeshayahu or Isaiah. Last week we finished chapter 10, and we're headed into another one that's going to have a lot of elements that are going to sound very familiar, verses that most all of us have heard many, many times, as well as a few that um, I dare say we probably haven't heard nearly as much, so it'll be an interesting discussion. But um, uh, let me introduce and uh, say uh, good afternoon once again to Ray Harrison first. How are you doing, Ray? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Great. And like I said, it's, it's good to have you back. Go ahead, Mark. Yep, I'm doing good, too. Good to hear you, Ray, and uh, almost good to hear you, Mark, but, you know, it's, we've been doing this for a long time, so I can bust your chops a little. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't anyway, be surprised if you, I would be surprised if you failed to. For, uh... <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's, let's read chapter 11. I'll start in, uh, in verse 1. This is one of those verses that's going to sound familiar. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. You know, Jesse, oh yeah, that would be in the lineage of the king of David. We remember the story of um, of Ruth and Boaz, and out of them come Jesse, and then comes uh, King David, and we know the rest, hopefully. And it says, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit, the Ruach Yahuwah, shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of, no- the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of Elohim. His delight is in the fear of Yahuwah, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness, Zadikah. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity, and that's not the same kind that the uh, socialist communist tyrants want to talk about. This is real. Uh, Equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and wipe the breath of his lips. Oh, I'm sorry, and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness, again, there's that word, Zadeka, uh, shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. All right, let's pause. And uh, uh, Ray, if you're ready, we'll go to you and let you kick it off and take us where you'd like on this. Well, uh, as you say, this is a very, very, very well-known uh uh, passage here uh, and, and all of that. Uh, I think uh, I find it fascinating here as we're introduced to this uh, this one who will come. Uh, we recall that in the uh, uh, latter chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses said that there will come another prophet such as me, and and this very much echoes what's uh, what was being said there. Uh, I find it fascinating that in verses 5 
and 6, we see some references that are picked up in the book of Ephesians when it comes to the uh, the whole armor of God, uh, the, the belt of truth. Uh, I think uh, it was uh, in Ephesians, if I'm recalling correctly, and and uh, yeah, five, and all five, that. Five, yeah. uh, also, that uh, that we see many, many, many uh, references throughout the prophets uh, to this this coming one. Uh, it, we see in Jeremiah 23:5, "Behold, the days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I will raise up for David a righteous branch." Uh, okay, we we see it there. Uh, uh, again in 3315 in those days of that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute judgment uh, justice and righteousness in his hand and, and I just mentioned one other thing to kind of roll a grenade in here but you know so often as you talk with folks uh, in uh, out in the world and and they they kind of have this notion of well what's up with this we have the this God of the Old Testament who seems to be kind of a grumpy God, uh, and he wants to wipe out uh, every other race that he can find and this and that and the other thing. But then in the New Testament, we have this really lovey, fluffy guy named Jesus who has nothing but love and grace for everybody and all that. And I'd remind you that even in this prophecy here, uh, let me find the verse again, uh, that he, he judges, uh, 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 disputes, uh, 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 and with righteousness shall judge the poor, decide equity of the meek. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with his breath uh, of his lips he shall kill the wicked. We are looking, uh, there's forward looking here to the day of the Lord, and when we see, especially so in uh, in the book of Revelation, that, that there's this guy that comes... Uh, uh, riding on a horse, as I recall, a white horse. I'm looking for the verse. Uh, that would be verse Revelation 19, 11 through 15. Then I saw the heavens open. There was a white horse and one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And when he comes back, um, he's 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 uh, kicking booty and taking names. So uh, this is the same God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Amen. And they they are both absolutely full of love and justice and mercy and grace and all that, but they also judge by by truth. And mm-hmm. and uh and from that you there no mercy can be extended without judgment. So anyway, that's the that's a couple of grenades to start you off. I'm sure MP will have some good things to <laughs> Those say. are good grenades. I'm glad they're out there, and they uh, they can blow up all they want because uh, we're going to recognize that, that that is exactly the, the right thing to say, and it is truth, Ray. Uh, go ahead, uh, Mark. All right. Thank you. I'm going to open with Azamra's opening paragraph on Chapter 11, uh, recalling verse 10's finish, Chapter 10's finish. Rather. It says the concluding verses of the previous chapter, uh, described how Elohim would lop the bough of Sennacherib's trib, tree and cut down the thickets of the forest, his mighty warriors is what that means, so that Lebanon, his armies, would fall through a mighty one or an angel. Uh, Treasury of Scripture knowledge from Esord has this on, and there shall, that's the uh, first three words here. The prophet, having described the destruction of the Assyrian army under that of a mighty forest, here takes occasion to present the great person 
who makes the subject of this chapter as a slender twig shooting out of the trunk of an old tree, which tender twig, though weak in appearance, should become fruitful and prosper. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when he, we shall see him, no beauty that we should desire him. That's Isaiah 53, 2, talking about the same uh, branch. Now, this is, of course, speaking of Yahushua, who may not have been homely, like Mark Patron is, but was not so handsome as to distract people's attention from his word and his works. What was important with Bat Yeshua was that he effused the set-apart spirit of uh, the Almighty and Sof. It was his words and works that attracted the people's attention rather than his physical pulchritude. And he may have been a good-looking guy, but that wasn't what was really attracting him. It was his words, the things he was saying and the things he was doing to back up what he was saying. Amen. A rod out of the stem of Jesse is an interesting turn of phrase. Okay, the the word that's translated stem uh, in uh, H is H fifteen o three Gaza, which means a stock or a stem. The mental picture here is that of a stump of a log cut off great a great tree with a little twig growing out of its center. Okay, we're talking about looking at the 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 bowl of the tree, the whole bowl of the tree, in the dead center of that the bowl of that tree, you got a little stick coming out. That's the idea here. The mental picture is of a stump of a long, cut-off great tree with a little twig growing out the center. That is the picture of Yeshua, especially at the beginning of his ministry. I have to think that none of the muckety-mucks of the synagogue system in Jerusalem paid any attention to him at first. It was only when their power, their cash flow, was endangered that they took any notice of him. 2,000 years out of time televangelists, in my opinion. That's what I think they were. Um, <laughs> those, okay, now, Azamra has another salient comment on verse 1 that I want to share now. In contrast, the stem of the tree of Jesse, the house of David, will regenerate and produce a new rod, Melech HaMashiach. And a rod shall come forth out of the stem of Jesse. Yishai, verse 1 of our present chapter. Rashi explains why his most famous and inspiring prophecy about the Messiah, whose coming we daily await, is positioned immediately after the prophecy about the delivery of Jerusalem from Sennacherib. If you say that these consoling words to Hezekiah and his people promising that they will not fall into his hand are all very well, well, what will happen to the ten tribes whom Sennacherib exiled to Hala and Habor and etc.? Perhaps all of their hope is lost? It is not lost, because in the end, King Mashiach will come and redeem them. That's the idea. And that's, by the way, is from Azamra. Uh, this is an Orthodox Jewish comment, okay? Now, these verses, in verses 11 and 12 of this chapter, specifically prophesy the return of all the exiles from the various countries of their dispersal, including the lost ten tribes. Now, still talking. i got about another minute. A branch shall grow out of his roots, is referring to Mashiach, without a doubt. 
Even the present-day televangelists will say that Yeshua is that branch, though a few of them will direct that title to themselves, of course, because uh, can you tell that I hold these charlatans in contempt, by the way, these televangelists? Anyway, that's what I got on verse 1. Okay. <laughs> if you want me to keep on, I will. Well, I'll just ask, Ray, do you have anything you, you want to put in there at this point or or not? Uh, the, the the only other thing that that I will mention, and uh, I'm right in there, that we'll recall back in Genesis, uh, chapter 49, if I'm remembering correctly, when uh, Jacob is blessing all his sons. You recall that scene, and he's on his deathbed, and uh, and and again the comment there is, "As the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet." until tribute first comes to him, something like that. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So th- this is something that, that we have been we have been looking for uh, uh, all the way along. Amen. Okay. I'll add one more comment, and this is, uh, this is, um, it, it's more like along the lines of something that Ray's already mentioned, but uh, since it's not going to come up in his armor, I'm almost sure I'll throw it out there now. Uh, this idea of the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, uh, we're going to, as we go through here, we're going to, I think, inevitably have to discuss whether he's come once or whether he's coming twice. And as you know, there is a line of rabbinic thought that says there's, uh, there's two comings of the Mashiach. There's Mashiach ben Joseph, the suffering servant, Mashiach been David, and um, one of the uh, one of the elements of heresy that seems to have been adopted uh, literally centuries ago by the whore church has to do with a fellow named Marcion, and he was essentially, I would say, yes. a, a mm-hmm. true heretic, uh, and he he was he the first was. one that really postulated this idea of there's that nasty Old Testament God, but hey, thankfully we got this new fluffy warm Jesus, and he loves everybody, and he did away with all that old law that you couldn't keep anyway, and so forth. It is arguably, I would suggest one of the greatest heresies in all of human history and one of the biggest lies too absolutely agree no argument here okay <laughs> well see that was easy all right uh mp you want to go back in then and no, we'll... no argument oh go ahead go ahead Ray. that's all right go ahead mp oh we have covered uh, we have read verse up through verse five haven't we Yes, um, that is correct. Okay, then let's move on. Azamra has this on verses 2 through 5. <laughs> and the spirit of Hashem shall rest upon him, verse 2. This and the coming verses, 2 through 5, describe the attributes of King Mashiach. Wisdom, chokhmah, refers to what a person learns and knows, whereas understanding, bina, uh, refers to the inferences that he makes out of what he has not learned on the basis of what he has learned. Interesting. Counsel, etzah, is one's understanding and habitual pursuit of the proper way to act, particularly in in, uh, interpersonal relations, that according to Radak. That's uh, Rabbi David uh, Kimchi, I believe was his last name. And his delight shall be in the fear of Hashem according to verse 3. Now, the Hebrew root, or word rather here, translated as delight, has the connotation of fragrance and smell, expressing Mashiach's subtle, intuitive grasp of who is good and who is evil without needing to see or hear 
which really fits Yeshua as he is revealed to us in the Brit Hadashah. Unlike today's corrupt system of justice, which favors the wealthy and mighty against the poor and the weak, Mashiach will judge the poor with righteousness and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. That is according to verse 4. Now he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He will not need to use armed force in order to assert his authority, but will do so through the power of his words. And here's a quote. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins. That's verse 5. Targum reads, And the tzaddikim shall be round about him. Okay, now I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like this is describing Yah in human form, but not just a mortal man wielding Yah's power. This has to be either a human full of the spirit of Yah or Yah born into human flesh. I can't think of any mere human that could contain the Ruach of Yah. Yah would have to quicken the egg of a woman by placing his spirit into it, guide that human child from conception through birth, and then guide that human flesh through its entire life, including every rite of passage, puberty at all, as it were, through to that human flesh, physical death, okay? And in this case, on a Roman torture stake. When he would leave that flesh so that it could, let, could die as a substitute for humanity and take on himself every sin of every type of every human throughout history. And that is exactly what our Creator did for each of us in the flesh of Yeshua. And that boggles my mind. Yes. I know myself well enough to know that I could not do it. And any mortal who says uh, differently is a liar and the truth is not in him. Here's what Torah Tanakh, uh, Stones Tanakh has to say on, in its commentary. They say, he refers to Melech Mashiach, who will judge disputes between nations. They will accept his decisions and no longer resort to war to settle disputes. Again, according to Radak, Rabbi David Kimchi. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Verse 5. I've got a quest, quick question to ask you, MP. I'm uh, back uh, back in uh, eleven two, uh, and was going through, and, and I was following along with you as far as uh, wisdom, understanding, counsel, and then uh, 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 my primary English text I'm looking at is ESV, uh, but I've got uh, I've got BSV pulled up at the same time, and the spirit of you said knowledge, and and. Uh, you talked about fragrance or something, and I have a Hebrew da'at, which is knowledge or understanding or learning or, or something right. like that. I just wondered, that was a different, did, did I go around the corner with you at the same time, or did I, was I in a, in a wrong place? Because I saw that and it just, I just went, oh zing, that's not what mine says. So I thought I'd ask uh, you about that. Where, where I was commenting from there was the, the text from the uh, Azamra uh, Orthodox Jewish website that I quote frequently. Uh, sure. They're, they're very good, and they have slightly different ideas than you or I do. And their idea of Mashiach, who hasn't come yet, as far as they're concerned. Ah, I see. Okay, that's what, the, that's what they're talking about. Oh, okay, so and, and, and uh, actually the, the, the translation that you gave is, is a... Uh, 
is a, a charming twist and, and it adds to some of yeah. the, the fullness of our understanding. It just didn't match what I had uh, in my scriptures, and so I, I thought I'd ask that. Uh, exactly. And, and that's that one question. of the reasons that I go with these guys, because they do stay really close to the literal meaning, especially in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't they don't comment on the New. So, Of course. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important uh, as we go through here to point out some of the things uh, like uh, elements. Uh, I mentioned Marcion is just one example. Elements of things, and, and, and you will frequently, right. MP, say, oh, this is obviously Yeshua and so forth. And, of course, understand that as far as Azamra is concerned, it's not obvious at all. So those are the kind of things we need to make sure we discuss and, and clarify when we can. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's, are we ready to continue on? There's another word in here that I want to mention, and we've already used it several times. There is a form that we're going to show up, that we're going to see show up here in just a minute, uh, and it has to do with this word knowledge. And, um, again, it has, um, it has a different, uh, several different forms, and, um, uh, I think it's kind of fascinating. As we go through the next uh, couple uh, verses, we're going to see some of those differences show up. Uh, because knowledge is important. Remember what Hosea says. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And because you have rejected knowledge, I'm mm. going to reject you for being priests for me. And uh, that uh, that resonates on a whole bunch of different levels. All right. If we're ready, the wolf, it says, hey, we've heard this one, too, will also dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Uh, at least we've heard similar references. And certainly this is a metaphor that is very popular with lots of folks. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Now, what I think is interesting here is there are references also in Isaiah to a place where other women and children shall lead them. And uh, when I read this, it has a whole different connotation in in the sense of a, something that is to be desired. Uh, you know, and, and as Yeshua points out, the difference is the little child is not filled with guile. It is innocent, and he accepts the truth as it is taught to him. Whereas when Isaiah later, in this very same book, says, you know, uh, women and children will rule over them, he's talking about something that sounds, in context, really, really negative and not to be desired. So uh, big contrast there. Uh, let me read the next couple verses, too. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So basically, a lot of metaphors here that describe animals that we would think to be um, either a carnivore and prey or antithetical or whatever, getting along a lot better. And I guess we could say similar things about um, humankind. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Here we go. Here's the verse I'm looking for. For the earth, Haaretz, shall be full of the knowledge of Yahuwah. Now, that word there is da'ah. And it has the same root duh. that we recognize. Yeah, it's not duh, and it's not yada, 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 to quote Seinfeld. But at least Seinfeld had a Jewish background. Yada is the word that means to know in an experiential, a firsthand, intimate way. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know, and, and it's uh, certainly, uh, we know that yeah. Adam yadded his wife and so forth. What's interesting about this word, and um, I, I looked it up because I thought, well, it's it's a different form of the word yada that we're used to. has the same root again, but um, what? the uh, the, the uh, various concordances say is this is the infinitive form and it is explicitly infinitive in other words it's only used in this one um, in this one place in this way and it only shows up three different times in the whole book in this exact form da'ah 
Hmm. And um, what I thought was fascinating is it does not show up in this form at all in the Torah. But if you look up and see how it's used, it is always, and this is what the lexicon will point out, uh, it is always referring to not the knowledge of a, a husband, of his wife, or anything of that sort. It always refers, in the infinitive form, to the knowledge of yod heh vav heh himself, the creator. So it's very explicit that way, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And, it, and here's what it says again. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahuwah, as the waters cover the sea. And that takes us to the break, so I guess we'll leave it there. We'll pick it up when we get back. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So my negativity surrounds, I know something of the Torah Teachers Roundtable. We're talking about the book of Isaiah, chapter 11 at this point. And when we went to break, I had just made a brief comment about this word knowledge in the in, in a form that's only used in the prophets and, and never actually shows up in the Torah, interestingly. But the same root word is... Um, uh, is yada, and uh, the word is da'ah. And um, in any case, uh, let me go back to Ray and let him take it where he'd like, because uh, there are a number of other things about which we're going to have knowledge that's laid out here. And, uh, uh, yeah, go where you'd like, Ray. I Just uh, just an observation that obviously uh, Yeshiahu is looking far distant future as far as who this Mashiach is and really what the ultimate goal of Mashiach will be, which will ultimately be the millennial kingdom at the very, or the new Jerusalem, I should say, at the, at the end of time, as far as we are able Amen. to glance. And it's, it's my thought anyway, that, uh, uh, the Agani Den, the, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fellowshiped with, uh, Yahweh himself, uh, really everything was there and provided for him. He, uh, he, he simply wanted presence with them. That's what, that's what the father wanted. He wanted them, uh, to reflect him. He wanted to, to have presence with them. But as we, we know how that, that story went and all that. And as we go through the books of, uh, Genesis, Bereshit, through, uh, uh, to book number six, which begins the story of Noah and the flood and all that, we, we see the antediluvian world was well, we can infer that it was exceedingly different 
than the physical world we're in now. The oxygen content probably, uh, certainly rain and moisture and all kinds of other things. It's a fascinating study, but that's not for today. My point though is, is that when we finally get through the flood and, uh, Noah has taken, uh, uh, a breeding pair of all the creatures that uh, the Lord saw fit to, uh, repopulate the earth with and all that, when they get out at the other end of the flood and all that, an interesting comment is made and I have it pulled it up on my software right now in Genesis. I'll paraphrase. I think you all know it. In, in essence, um, the, uh, the, the Lord speaks to Noah and, and basically says, the, no longer are the animals going to, uh, put up with you human beings. Uh, that they, they will now have fear and dread of you. And he, 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 uh, because the whole regime of the planet, uh, the, uh, the, the geology, the, uh, everything has changed. That now you are, mankind is able to eat meat if he so desires. And so the animals now at this point in time, uh, realize that man is no longer, uh, benign. That, that he will become a predator in, in some ways, shapes, or forms. What I, uh, my whole point with all of this is that when we look and see in six that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, of course, in, in almost any, if you go and talk to any unchurched person, one of the maxims that they can quote is, oh, the lion and the lamb will lay down together. Well, that's an unfortunate, it's the right idea, but the, not exactly. We see that in this verse here. It's the wolf and the lamb that lay down together, but the leopard with the young goat, the lion, the fatted calf. Uh, later on, it talks about the cow and the bear graze, the lion, uh, uh, and the ox shall eat straw together. And what I am seeing with this and the picture that, that Isaiah is painting of, of this, uh, this, uh, the end how God reconciles the entire universe back to himself is Amen. we're moving back to plan A. And in plan A, these animals ate a different diet. They behaved a different way. There was a different relationship between mankind exactly. and the animals and all that. And so I'd be one of the things that signals to me that we are talking far future. We're not just talking here about, well, Mashiach will come and he'll kick out the Babylonians or he'll kick out the Romans or this or that or the other thing. The the behaviors that we see uh, with the animals and, in other words, a cobra will no longer be a, a, a deadly to a child. A child could put, a, could put their hand in an ass's nest and would not be bit, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. To me, that, that really signals that, that what we're reading about in this chapter is there may be a near uh, uh, prophetic part of this, but really we're talking far distant that, that this is the ultimate, this will be also the ultimate goal of what's going on. So well, for what I, it's worth. I, I agree with you, Ray, on that score. And what? I'll just simply say, I think in a couple minutes, uh, I'm going to point out there are some additional elements of what we're going to read here that buttress that point, that make that point even uh, even uh, more dramatically, if it's possible. So we'll see it. Uh, go ahead, Mark. All right. Uh, let me let me cover verses six through eight. Um, and the the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Verse six. Radak comments. This is Azamra speaking now. Radak comments that some explain that in the time of the Mashiach. 
the very nature of wild animals will change and revert to what it was at the beginning of creation, when they did not consume one another, or if they had, the weaker species would never have survived. Well, that's what Mark Patron thinks, by the way. However, others explain this as an allegory in which the predatory animals symbolize the wicked oppressors, while the lamb, the cow, and the calf, and the kid symbolize the meek of the earth. And in the mm-hmm. time of Mashiach, there will be peace on earth, and men will not harm their fellows. Now, Radak dissents from, from the opinion that the nature of the wild animals will change throughout the world, but, re, but maintains that in the land of Israel, they will do no harm, as promised by Moshe. I shall cause evil beasts to cease from the land, according to Leviticus chapter 26 mm-hmm. and verse 6. Now, what TSK says uh, evil beasts are in the Hebrew is a ra'ahai, uh, or evil life or evil living. Mm. No evil will exist in the Olam Haba is the point. The entire creation will be filled with the righteousness of Yah, every creature, as they were in the garden. And the word translated land is Aretz, from which we, which means earth or land. So I agree that Azamra has, uh, with Azamra rather, on this point. It's relatively minor now, but one of us will be proven r- 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 mistaken. Okay. <laughs> now, verse 7 is kind of interesting. Where the present-day prey animals that try to steer clear of the predators, they will not even have a fear of those predators, since the predators will actually get their protein from the same source as the present-day prey animals, plants. The main reason there will be no death is because no creature in the world will eat flesh. Not even us omnivorous humans. I do prefer fruit pies to flesh pies, though I do partake of both if my lovely bride makes them. We are in our 44th year of marriage, by the way. So, anyway. Now, here's Azamra's take on verse 8. Radak, on verse 8 of Yeshiyahu 11, continues, In the days of Mashiach, the serpent's hatred for man that is decreed after Adam's creation will cease in all the land of Israel, and wherever the people of Israel go, no serpents or wild beasts will harm them. Mm. Now, in my opinion, the only people alive on the new earth will be resurrected saints of Avinu Yeshua, uh, which is why there will be only righteousness. Even Hasatan will either be in holding or have been sent to the lake of fire. Okay, time out. For his ultimate dissolution and banishment to outer darkness. Go ahead. Just just quickly, MP, when you when you're talking about here, are you talking when how far out is this? Is this post millennial reign, post whatever it is? Just give me a time frame so we're here clear we're, the... here we're talking I believe we're talking post millennial reign. Okay. I wanted to just make sure. Um, I, I may or may not disagree yeah. or agree, but I just wanted to know what, what, what your time frame was. Yeah, the the millennium is going to be the millennium will be really good right at the beginning, and then it will gradually, over a period of a few years, descend into basically what we see now. Yeah, it devolves right. Yeah, it devolves exactly. again. Exactly. So anyway, let me let me finish what I was on. Um, let's see. 
Lake of Fire, Ultimate Dissolution, Banishment, Outer Darkness, not even a candle or match will be lighted in that time. Now, by the way, a cockatrice is an adder, a highly poisonous snake. The uh, Hebrew root 6848 is safa, which tra- here translated as cockatrice, elsewhere as adder, hmm. literally means to emerge or increase. Etymological Dictionary Biblical Hebrew gives these definition, definitions to emerge or increase, like a baby mammal emerging from mama's womb, an attacking snake, or an emerging excrement. Only one of these seems good to me. Okay, that's the, ba- the baby coming out of the mama's womb. But in this Olam Haba verse, the cockatrice poisonous snake will not strike and kill and the excrement may not even need to be excreted. Can you imagine eating wonderful food to your heart's content and that, then not have to eliminate waste since there will be no waste? Enough speculation on the Olam Haba. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that through verse 8. I, I just noticed what, one thing that, uh, as I was looking, uh, clicked on uh, uh, Sapa. That, uh, that's what 6848, I think. Uh, looking down just two numbers, 6850, sapap is, is the, where we get is the verb to chirp or to whisper or to mutter. Remember we saw that one with the, uh, uh, with the necromancers and, and all yeah. of that. That it's fascinating that, that their speech is, uh, equated or very, very, very similarly, uh, uh, wrapped up in in the in, in the serpent with, with yeah. the serpent yeah it just it it's that's one of those torah of the eyes you look at it and go oh <laughs> look at that uh anyway for what yeah. it's worth good stuff okay well let's, we can move on all right that's what i was going to ask are we are ready to move on so um yeah here we now go you, and, you've read how far uh, i'm starting at verse 10 verse 10 and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner. Uh, and remember the uh, the example that we have of one of the names of Yah, Yahuwah Nisi, a banner to the people. For the goyim, the nations, and here's that yes. word in English, uh, says uh, Gentiles, and I'm always careful to say, nah, it's really nations, and it could be peoples that are uh, scattered, and that would include lots of folks. But Gentiles generally has a specifically pagan uh, implication. That may be true in this case, um, but yes. uh, certainly these are people that uh, would include those who are scattered and don't even know their identity. So the goyim shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious, and it shall come to pass in that day. Now here's one of those places I was referring to that kind of makes Ray's point earlier, that this is out in the future, and it has not happened yet. I will contend. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I started to ask this question earlier, and I should have. Are we there yet? All right, that information about da'ah, the point was, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahuwah. Are we there yet? Honestly, um, there have been pockets of it, but I don't think we've ever reached that point. So here's another one where we're out in the future. It'll come to pass in that day that Yahuwah shall set his hand, here we go, again, oops, that word seems to imply um, not the first time, and then it says this, again, the second time, which kind of implies it's not the first time, to recover the remnant of his people who are left. Here's another reference to the remnant. Sounds like they've been scattered. Let's let's take a second on this one. From Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, 
from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. And I'm going to read one more verse, and then I'm going to just comment a bit before I um, turn it over to you guys. Um, he will set up a banner, there's that word again for the nations, and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah. So here's a reference to two kingdoms. Uh, first, Israel, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes that means the northern kingdom, and gather together the dispersed of Judah, which, well, it sounds explicitly like the southern kingdom, the one that was called Judah, and that was ruled by the kings of the line of Judah. From the four corners of the earth. Now, there's more to the prophecy, but that's where I want to pause for just a second. I'll read um, what, uh, and some of you probably already know where I'm going to go, one of my favorite chapters in the book. This is chapter 30 in Deuteronomy. This is Moshe, his his final speech, and he says it's the first of the, the prophecies of the great regathering, the greater exodus, call it what you'd like, but here it is, Deuteronomy 30, starting in the first verse, it'll come to pass. When all of these things, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and we're seeing the curses today if we haven't figured that out. Uh, it's not like it's the first time. And you shall bethink yourself among all the nations where Yahuwah, Yerel, has driven you. So here we are, both kingdoms, northern, southern, both whoring wives, both of the two sticks that we see in Ezekiel, still scattered, still dispersed. And here we are. And you shall return. Notice this is a um, the command form, as MP likes to note. You shall return. It is going to happen unto Yahuwah Yerel. And hearken, Shema, Shamar, um, hear and obey his voice according to what? All. That's a neat word. All that I command you, Hayom, this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. And then it says, will Yahuwah Yerel turn. There's that word, shuv, return, turn around. He will turn your captivity and have compassion upon you and will return again and gather you from all the peoples where Yahuwah Yerel has scattered you. Doesn't matter where you are, he goes on to say, utmost parts of the heavens. He's going to pick you up and bring you back home. What does Isaiah say? From the four corners of the earth. So to me, that sounds like a really, really similar reiteration. And Isaiah would have already known Moshe's prophecy. So um, what he's doing is reiterating it. He's a second witness here. All right, let's pause. Um, Ray, let me go to you, I guess. I, I've actually just got a pretty quick one, and then I'll let uh, uh, MP uh, backfill some of the other great details. Um, again, I, uh, I see with Isaiah, when we see this phrase, on that day or in that day, and we see it twice in the passage that you just uh, you just read, that to me is code speak. Uh, it happens in 10 and in 11. That's code speak for far future, off in the distance. Uh, and I think certainly you can make uh, the case as you as you have that 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 many of the things that we see here have have not yet come to pass. It would be interesting to talk about these peoples here, uh, Assyria, Pathos, Kush, all of that, as we will see in the next segment or section of of this great thing, uh, the judgment of the nations, which covers chapters 13 through 27. How we we get a chapter on the judgment of Babylon, the judgment of Assyria, the judgment of Philistia, the judgment of Moab. I mean, and as it comes on down, so it's it's interesting that that well, the remains of his people that will come from these places and and other places. So anyway, that's that's my thought there. All right, Mark. All right. Okay, here we go. I'm uh, I've, I've commented into verse nine. I'm gonna. Continue on now. <clears throat> All those poisonous and otherwise deadly carnivorous animals will no longer be such. 
Okay? Azamer has this on verse 9. They shall do no harm, and they shall not destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of Hashem as the waters cover the earth, cover the sea. It is the knowledge of Elohim that dispels the cruelty that rules in its absence. The sea, the Hebrew is Yam, refers to the place that contains the waters, while the waters fill it so that the bottom of the sea is not seen. That's according to Metzudas David. Now, I know that the bottom of the sea is uneven, having its own hills and valleys. From above, the waters will be seen covering the sea uniformly in the sense that everyone will be filled with the knowledge of Elohim. But just as the bottom of the sea is uneven, in some cases, people's understanding will be shallower, and in others, it will be deeper. That according to Rabbi Gedalia Koenig, and that's really, really good observation. That's neat, yeah. The difference between the Olam Haba and the fallen world and people that populate it and the Olam Hazeh that will come in the Resurrection Day, or Resurrections Day, when all the pre- saints of Yah will be resurrected, their eternal souls reunited with their resurrected physical bodies in perfect health and never to know anything else but perfect health and reasoning abilities, I can't wait for that one, is staggering. So staggering that in my wildest dreams, I don't think I can grasp it, really and truly. I don't think I can especially after I got him whacking the head with that tree like Anyway, <laughs> try to get your mind around verse 9. In order to do that, you can't compare the eight previous verses to 9, but have to go back to before the beginning of the Olam Hazeh, the world to come. Verse 10 should be enough of a contrast. I see an analogy between chapters 10 and 11. I'm sorry, chapter 10 should be enough of a contrast. I see an analogy between chapters 10 and 11. In this analogy, chapter 10 is about the Olam Hazeh, the world that is now. And chapter 11 is about the Olam Haba, the world to come, in which Melech Mashiach will rule in and through his righteousness, perhaps using some of his faithful servants as vice regents, who will take care of the everyday stuff, but have access to Melech Mashiach in an instant, mainly because Melech Mashiach is yud and his resurrected flesh with absolute instant access to all of his creation and the ability to handle numerous millions of troubles in an instant of time, all of that stuff can be done by one person because his spirit is the spirit of Yehovah with no limitations like those to which we are subject. In verse 10, we see a root of Yeshai, a singular, which we can liken to the rod of the stem of Yeshai, Jesse, in verse mm-hmm. 1, which was a branch growing from its roots, has a branch growing from its roots, I'm sorry. The branch is, I believe, Mashiach Yeshua, that is Yeshai, Jesse, is David's Abba, as can be seen here, in Ruth chapter 4, and verse 17. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is born to Naomi, and they called his name Oved, he is the father of Yeshai, the father of David. Mm-hmm. Azamra has a good comment on verse 10. And in his resting place, and rather, and his resting place shall be glorious. Most kings are ashamed to be at rest, as if it is a sign of weakness not to challenge some other nation. 
but Mashiach's very tranquility will enhance his glory because all will show him obedience. That according again to Metzodas David. It is not a sign of weakness to not be out conquering other nations, although that was the business of most kings of that day. They're kind of like Hamas. If they aren't conquering or giving someone a hard time, just to keep their own nation on its toes, the just plain folks start getting restless and begin to give their own government a hard time after planning its overthrow. <laughs> anyway, that's what I got through verse 10. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, well, you got 30 seconds till the break. Anything you want to add before then, or should we just pretend that we're going to have time to read on? <laughs> Why don't we pretend that we're going to have a chance to read on? I think it would be a whole lot better. All you guys out there in Radio Land, we're just going to pretend for a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay, well, not even a couple of minutes. More like five seconds here. So what we're going to do when we come laugh, back is... We? Uh... we are allowed to laugh. Thank God I'm breathing. And I pray, don't take me soon. Because I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown. But I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know something the Lord turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we know what I'm fighting for, there'll be no more war, and our children will pay. Sometimes I let another Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right, we are back, folks. The uh, top of the hour is behind us now, and that means we're into the uh, the second uh, uh, hour, and we're almost, but not quite finished with chapter 11. We have uh, kind of broached the subject, I think, of the uh, greater exodus, the regathering to come. And it says that he's going to gather together and assemble the outcasts of Israel, gather together the dispersed of Judah, so both kingdoms from the four corners of the earth. Also, verse 13, we'll read a bit further. Uh, the envy of Ephraim shall depart. Okay, envy of Ephraim. Well, Ephraim is the king of the north, the line of the kings of Israel. So um, the envy of that northern kingdom, and I like to sometimes use the term whore church, still in exile. Uh, what is the whore church envy? Uh, well, we can guess, right? Um, it's going to depart, though. That's good news. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim, but they shall fly down upon right. the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand to uh, or on Edom and Edom and Moab. So the uh, kind of uh, traditional enemies we've been talking in the uh, annual Torah cycle about uh, Moab, aka Esau. Esau is um, I'm sorry, Edom is uh, Esau, and Moab, of course, are the descendants of Lot by. Uh, 
um, incest. So um, lots of animosity there over uh, millennia at this point. And the people of Ammon shall obey them. And uh, let's pause there. We've only got a couple of voice, uh, verses more, but we'll, um, we'll let you guys comment, and then we'll finish it up here in a minute. Go, go ahead, Ray. Let's try you first. Uh, okay. Uh, interesting. In 11, I'm going to back up just ever so slightly. In 11, it talks about that uh, and he will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnants of his people from, and he lists Assyria, Egypt, Pathos, Cush, Elam, Shinar, uh, Assyria, obviously, Iraq, uh, Syria, Egypt is Egypt, Cush is Ethiopia and uh, Sudan, Pathros, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, Shinar is, of course, Persia uh, or uh, Iran uh, today and, and all of that. Again, those those were all communities in the ancient times in which there were significant uh, uh, Hebrew populations. Um, again, he uh, as I see this, uh, of course, the classic thing uh, you alluded to, Mark, that the jealousy between Ephraim and Judah, um, uh, if I can characterize it a little bit, and I don't mean I'm not throwing rocks at either side here, but, uh, you know, the, the folks, uh, if we can characterize much of Ephraim as being perhaps the Gentile Christian church, that's that's a painting with a hugely broad brush. Uh, and I hope yes. that the, you, you'll you'll all give me some grace for that. But I'm going to use that uh, as a, a talking point. Would would perhaps be one set of those people, Judah being the uh, the traditional Jews that are there. Um, these two, you know, we're, we're we're brothers and sisters, but we don't get along real well. Um, uh, we that happens in, in ancient times. Uh, the Ephraimites didn't want to do what the Judites wanted them to do they wanted to worship a different place a different way and this and that and the other thing and we see that the gentile church today wants the benefits of messiah wants all the all the good stuff but they sure don't want any of this law stuff they sure don't want any of this commandment stuff uh and feel as if they that that no longer applies to them of course with judah <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm uh, painting again with a great big old broad brush, and I, and I understand this feeling as well, even though I'm not Jewish uh, by birth. But but the, Judah has has toughed it out. This is the uh, the parable that Yeshua spoke about to the prodigal son. This is the brother that stayed home and worked with dad, and and kept the family farm going. And just toughed it out and kept the Torah alive and went through the pogroms and, and suffered, suffered, suffered and all that. And it's like, yeah, you guys want to come back and you want a big piece of this now? So the, these emotions are, they're elemental between these two, two parts of the family, uh, of what's going on. And it is so glorious to read in, in uh, 1113. That, that, that this is going to be something that will come to an end. That Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah anymore and that Judah will not harass Ephraim. That everybody says, we're brothers, we believe in the same God. Let's, let's, let's get on with our business, you know. Amen. So that, that I think is, is a wonderful thing. 
much to be desired. And and you're right, right, to make your point, that may be far off in the future, but maybe it'll happen sooner, this part. I guess that time will I tell. think it is. All right. MP, you want to comment? Uh, yeah, yeah. Have I uh, spoken on verse 10 yet? Nope. I don't remember. Um, I believe so. Okay, we see. But, but I could be wrong. Okay, all right. Then in that case, 11 and 12. Here's a Zamra beginning in 11 and 12. Uh, verses 11 and 12 depict the return of the exiles of Israel from all of their places of dispersal. The um, medieval commentators explain that the Isles of the Sea, in verse 11, refer to the Greek islands, which were probably uh, an early stopping place for many of the Israelite exiles. But with hindsight, we can understand that these islands must also include Britain, Ireland, the Americas, Australia, New Zealand, etc., which are also isles in relation to the Europe, Africa, Asia landmass. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's a pretty huge landmass. And and you know what you know what separates Africa from the rest of uh, Eurasia, the Suez Canal. That's yeah. it. Anyway. <laughs> The first time that Yah delivered his people from bondage was in the exodus from Egypt under the tutelage of Yah's prophetic family, Moshe, Miriam, Aharon, and ultimately Yehoshua, Joshua. Uh, You can see some of the details in the actual narrative in uh, Isaiah chapter 60 to 66. This second deliverance from exile will be... uh, instigated by the prophets in exile with the people, like Daniel and Shema, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? Uh, these, are, uh, these are all contemporaries of Yeshayahu, who works for Nebuchadnezzar, or his successors, the accepted king of Yehuda in that day. If the people didn't accept him, he would just wipe them out. Full-blown genocide. That's what Nebuchadnezzar would have done. Had, had they uh, gone against him. It is Yah who is moving every piece on the chessboard, and he does it in such a way as to make it look dramatic. He didn't need to make it look dramatic, but it does make for a more exciting narrative. The ultimate author is truly a great author. Okay, Now, in verse 12, Yah is still pulling the strings on all his martinets. An ensign is not uh, necessarily the most junior officer in the Navy or Coast Guard. It's also the national or political subdivision's emblem of its authority to maintain peace and order within its community or jurisdiction. The city of Stowe, Ohio, that's where I live, has a flag that flies over the city hall under, in ascending order, a Summit County, an Ohio State, and a U.S. flag. So the ensign for the nations must fly beneath Yah's ensign, or they are being insubordinate to their creator. Amen. How well do you think that's going to fly, being insubordinate to your creator? The word that's translated wings in verse 12 is knafots, which is the hem of a garment, tzitziot. Okay? The ultimate Mm -hmm. fulfillment of this prophecy is yet future. May it be soon and in our day. Now, that's what I got through verse 12, if you'd like to. Okay. Uh, Ray? 
I'm assuming you uh, watch. The, the only the, the only thing that I can say, and this is a, uh, this is a, a bunny trail that uh, we don't want to go on today, but I'll just bring it up for future reference. Oh, we might want to. Well, we'd never get to the end of <laughs> this chapter if we do. But but I, I just remind uh, folks that uh, at this time, the nation of Israel is living in a theocracy. God is yep. the king. Yahuwah is the king of the nation. He sits upon a throne uh, surrounded by cherubim. It is in his temple that the people bring sacrifices and tribute. Uh, he is the one that that uh, pronounces the law and and all that. He he literally uh, and this is before this is before uh, Saul and David and all that literally was the king that sat in their midst. And then the people came and said, "Yeah, but we want a king like the other nations." And we remember the the the, the thing that uh, that that uh, Samuel is is comforted by God. He said, "I don't take it so bad. They treat me this way all the time." <laughs> you know, and all that, but just would remind you that that within this this governing system that was a theocracy, then below that we have three earthly members. The thing that reminded me of this was the flags you just mentioned, is that we have below Yah, Yah the king, the prophet, who speaks for the king to the people. And he's also a, a, oh, a diplomat. He's an evangelist. He's a, a, a federal lawyer <laughs> for Yah. We have the king who basically is a steward of the nation. To keep the keep the keep the wheels greased and to keep the everything moving along, and then we have the priests who are there to speak for the people to Yah and to bring their concerns to Yah and their business to Him, and to 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 see this thing as they're talking about it being a a great big kingdom uh, again. <laughs> I, I see this moving, I see us moving back in that way when you think of the descriptions that are given, uh, both uh, uh, of the millennial kingdom and then certainly the new Jerusalem. We are moving back towards, <laughs> we're moving back in that direction, I, I think, anyway. Yep. I have to agree with you. We do have a ways to go, uh, but uh, we only have a few verses to go till we get to the end of the chapter. Shall we go ahead and continue? Um, MP? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yahuwah will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt. Now, that sounds like a reference to a geographic feature, right? Um, and uh, we can kind of guess the area there and picture it on a map. Uh, with his mighty wind, he will shake his fist over the river. And, of course, in that context, uh, which river? Could be the Nile, but um, a lot of the sages say we're talking about the other river, the Euphrates. And strike it. In the seven streams, and make men cross over dry shod. In other words, as we saw it uh, after the time of uh, Jericho and the conquest of the land, and before uh, at um, the other uh, river that or the other sea that was uh, was dried up, um, people dr- cross over dry shod. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. So another reference, it sounds like, to this regathering and some of the ways that he's going to do it. But uh, maybe there's more. All right, uh, let's go to you this this time, MP. 
Uh, absolutely, and I I think you're exactly right. That was uh, <coughs> uh, Assyria is, is the is the key to those verses that you just read. Um, that is uh, that's where they were coming from. They were coming across from Assyria through probably uh, the northern kingdom and then down to the to the southern kingdom. Anyway, Azamra has this comment on verse thirteen, and I'll co- I'll finish the chapter here. Uh, Azamra, uh, the, the envy of Ephraim shall depart, in verse 13. With the coming of Melech HaMashiach, the historical rift between the house of David and the ten tribes under the leadership of Ephraim will be healed. Now, what did Ephraim have to envy Yehuda about? Yehuda had a smaller territory and was closer to the probable invaders, Egypt, Jordan, Assyria, if they came via the southern route through Jordan. Ephraim's main problem was that the safest, easiest, and quickest route from Assyria to Yehuda was right through Ephraim because they would have access to good fresh water supplies for most of the trip. That's why, in my opinion, Abraham moved to the southern part of what would become Yehuda. There was a good supply of fresh water via streams and water wells, and Babylon and Assyria would probably take the northern route if they ever decided to invade the land. Okay, so that makes sense why Abraham moved where he went. Now, in verse 14 through 16, they say in verse 14, it's obviously speaking about Ephraim, who will fly upon the shoulders of the Plishtim, the Philistines, toward the west. I don't recall anywhere in Yah's word where Israel flew on Philistine, Philistia's shoulders. That's a good point. No matter yep. in which direction they were flying. What's that? that I said that's a good point. Mm. Uh, that's, uh, that was kind of my thought process, too. This is an unusual reference, to put it mildly. Exactly. Exactly. What it says is that Israel and Philistia are going to spoil them of the east together. That would imply or happen if Israel and Hamas saw the Chinese marching westward to take the land between China and the Mediterranean Sea, which would make all the mainland Asia Chinese-Russian tributaries. India would fall right into step with them. China is helping to finance Hamas, Iran, and other regional enemies of Israel. I'm just speculating, but it could be in the works. It would not be good. Here's what got me thinking in that vein. Azamra ends this chapter's comments with this. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines westward. Okay, they're moving this way toward us. Okay, instead of ignominiously retreating from Gaza in the time of Mashiach, Israel will conquer it. Hear that? Israel will conquer Gaza. They shall lay their hand on Edom, Esav, and Moab. Okay? Radak comments, even though there are not identifiable today as nations, because only Israel may have maintained their uh, separate entity from the nations through Torah, while the other nations have all become mixed up and are either Muslims or Christians, When it mentions Edom, Moab, and the children of Ammon, it means their lands and those who dwell in them today. The inheritance of these lands by Israel will be the fulfillment 
of Elohim's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 19. That according to Rashi. And uh, wait a minute, I got a footnote on that. That's, uh, by the way, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzaki is what his name is. Okay, here's Genesis 15, 12 through 21, which he was just uh, referring to. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Avram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Avram, that's Yah, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, Jehovah made a covenant with Avram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Keni, the Kenizzites, the Keni, the Kenizzi, the Kadmoni, the Hitti, the Perizzi, and the Rephaim, and the Amori, and the Kanaani and the Girgashi, and the Yevusi, ten nations. Both of those last quotes let us know that everything we're studying now was meant for us to understand that everything that happens to Israel, whether blood Israeli or grafted in, is in Yah's absolute control. He will see to it that his word will not return to him void. It shall have its fulfillment, whether we decide to take part in it or not. I think it will be it will absolutely go better for us if we voluntarily take part in his plan. Our refusal Amen. to do what he That's... wants us to do will not impede his plans in any way. Take my word for it. Our punishment for refusing to work with him shall affect our reward. That's what I got for this chapter. Okay. Uh Ray, okay. do you have anything you want to add or shall we We've got about uh... Um we got a few minutes till we get to the bottom of the hour. Yeah, a few minutes to the break. Uh, uh, again, uh, uh, just uh, it, it's interesting, and and I I have to look at this. I this is one of those things that that I've read, but uh, it, it never quite clicked. Swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, uh, and, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. Boy, that that's giving me a Charlie horse in my brain. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure that one out. The rest of it makes sense to me. Put out their hand against Edom and Moab and the Amorites and all of that. We can look on the maps today and know, you know, that we're talking about uh, uh, Jordan basically uh, and part of the the nation of the Saudi nation. And all that. If, if, as you say, Mark, if, if the, the, the Chinese are, and the, the Russians are moving in coalition from, from Eastern Asia. Yes. In, into, into all the, uh, to, towards the Mediterranean. Yeah. The, this, the, this, uh, this makes a whole bunch of sense. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, but I, uh, I really think that we're seeing the, the forerunner of 
everything that we're reading in the, in the scripture today. Like we're seeing yeah. it right now. Yes, the, the chess pieces are being moved. There, there's, uh, there's no doubt of that, yes. Yeah. That's what I think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we got two minutes to the other, the end of the uh, segment. Okay. Well, we are uh, we're at the end of the chapter. Uh, anything by way of summary, either one of you? Ray, you got anything you want to add just uh, before we move on into Chapter 12 or to set it up? Mm. I, I would just I just note that that after all of this, uh, and this is just by way of structure. In in we we see after this uh, these this uh, last far look into into the future that he takes uh, an opportunity to stop and praise the god of the universe that that that, that uh, the uh, much of 12 is really a song of praise to to yah Absolutely. and 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 rightly so in other words here are all the things that are coming and oh by the way have we have we told you that we're grateful that this is the way it's going to go and have we told you that we want to be part of your plan, and we're all in on this. And 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 when the marching starts, will you please tap me on the shoulder? You know. So I think that's what we get to look forward to on the other side of the break. Okay. Well, and and indeed, I'll say this before we get there: the uh, next chapter begins with these words, "And in that day, you will say." The following. So um, we'll see. Uh, that's something to look forward to. We'll see what it is that we can look forward to, and uh, both after the break and uh, in the uh, lots further future. All right, we got 30 more seconds, and um, let me just read the verses in that case. And that day you will say what? Oh, Yahuwah. And by the way, I don't think that uh, they'll say, Oh Lord. I think they'll know His real name by then. I- I'm just guessing. Uh, oh Yahuwah, I will praise you, though you were <laughs> angry with me. Your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, Elohim is my salvation. And uh, that's a point in this one. We'll be back. Don't take me soon, because I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday the Lord's turn around because segment of the Torah Teachers Roundtable today. We just entered into chapter 12, and as I mentioned right before the break, it begins with the words, and in that day you will say. And uh, 
What will he, uh, what will we say? Oh, Yahuwah, I'll praise you, though you were angry with me. Your anger's been turned away. You comfort me. Behold, Elohim of my salvation. Now we know the root word there is, uh, Shua for salvation. So again, it's referring to Yahushua is salvation. I'll trust. I will trust and not be afraid for Yah, Yahuwah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. From the uh, Song of Moshe, if I'm remembering right, um, Exodus chapter 15. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Uh, I, I can't help but think that would be the wells of living water, perhaps. And in that day, there it is again, you'll also say, praise Yahuwah, call upon his name. And that probably means that they'll know his name so they can call upon it. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted, sing to Yahuwah, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. And um, all right, let's go to Ray this time. Okay. Uh, good. <laughs> good. Good, good stuff here. I, I would just point out that, that this... Uh, again, because of uh, and and in that day, I, I believe that we're, we're talking, uh, we're continuing to talk yet future. I think much of this gets pointed towards Yeshua. Uh, I'll, I'll hit a few uh, New Testament references that would, I think, kind of shore that up. Uh, in Matthew one in the twenties, uh, uh, we have, "Behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name." Emmanuel, which means God with us. Of course, we know that one. In Luke, uh, this is uh, one that you'll recall. This is second chapter, verse 30. Uh, this is uh, as uh, uh, Miriam and Yosef take uh, Yeshua to the temple for his uh, consecration as uh, after the uh, uh, period after his bris. Uh, and all that, and uh, and uh, the priest Simeon sees him, and 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 Simeon says, and this is this is known in the in the liturgy as the this verse as the song of Simeon. For my eyes have seen your salvation, right? Your Yeshua, uh, you have been prepared in the presence of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people. Israel. So again, that seems pretty clear to me um, uh, what's going on. I think the other thing is, is at, at the end of all of this, uh, you know, we, we uh, Paul writes in Romans uh, that, that he's not afraid, uh, uh, afraid of the gospel uh, to to extol the gospel, to praise the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes the Jew first, and then the the Gentile or the Greek, I believe, is it's it's written uh, uh, in in Romans. I'm just looking through a couple of others here, real quickly. Uh, oh yeah, uh, finally in Revelation 7:10. And crying out, this is the angel that is, uh, that, that's flying above the throne, uh, in heaven and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So I, I just see this as, is a great, 
a great outpouring of joy and uh, certainly a, a prescription for uh, for for what we what we need to do. So often, I think we, uh, as human beings, and as we spend prayer time, we're busy praying for other people. We're busy praying for our own needs. Uh, we're busy praying for the the nations and and things and and we're we're we've have all this stuff and too often i i believe anyway we forget to just stop and be in his presence enjoy his pre- being in his presence and thank him for who he is and praise him for who he is uh, mp made a comment earlier this afternoon about you know my gosh think about how amazing this is what he is going to be able to do. How amazing that is. And I just don't think we spend enough time doing it. And that's, I think that's one of the things that God longs for so much is, is to, is, uh, and, and this goes, this goes down since, since all of the three of us are all older men and we've gone through the childbearing years and, and all that sort of thing. Boy, is a dad. Doesn't it feel great? To have your kid come up to you and say, gee, dad, thanks a lot, or gee, dad, I love you, or, or something like that. Boy, there just, there's nothing that warms you more. And, and as we are pale reflections of, of he who created us, I, I, I just can't help but think that that warms, that, that warms his metaphoric heart as well. So. All right. Amen. All right. End of sermon. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah, I got a I got a bunch of kids. Love them too. <laughs> Still love my mommy and my daddy too, although they've been in the grave for fifteen twenty years. Yeah, I, I know. It's it just you know we 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 forget that we are a, a small and, and pale comparison of 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 the the great creator of the universe and what he's what he is uh, accomplishing through all of us and. When we have trouble trying to figure out, well, so what is it that he really wants? Sometimes all we need to do is look around and say, well, so what is it that I really want? Well, maybe that gives me an idea of what he really wants. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm viewing this too simplistically, but I, I'm not a real huge intellectual, so I have to, <laughs> it, it, has, it has to be simple for me. Join the club. Yeah, well, and I can't help but think a lot of times, Ray, he tells us straight out what he wants and that he wants us to be obedient. He wants us to uh, to walk in the way that he tells us to walk and so forth. Sure. So there are aspects of it that aren't that hard. Sure. Unless, of course, we have been uh, raised up in a place where we're taught that the law is done away with because nobody could possibly keep it anyway and a whole bunch of other things that at least as we're looking at this, we're going to recognize they're behind us. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let me comment a bit on the first couple of verses of this chapter. Uh, I'm going to open this chapter with a Zamra single quote for the six verses of chapter 12. I will comment after. And you shall say on that day, I will give them to Hashem, although you are were angry with me. You, he's talking to Hashem, although you were angry with me. In the Hebrew text, there is no section break between the end of the previous chapter and the beginning of this chapter. They are one continuous prophecy. 
Here, the prophet foretells the new consciousness that will dwell in the people of Israel with the coming of Mashiach. Retroactively, they will understand the purpose of their checkered history of exile and persecution, which was to refine them and bring them to repent. They will come to a new level of trust in Elohim and his saving power, in verse 2. And you shall draw waters with joy from the wellsprings of salvation. You will receive a new teaching, for he will hand their hearts, uh, expand their hearts rather through the salvation that will come to them and all the secrets of the Torah that are forgotten during the exile because of the troubles that will be revealed to them. That's according to Rashi. This is still Yeshayahu speaking as though there were no chapter break. Yeshayahu is in, and there wasn't in his case, <laughs> Yeshayahu is in thanksgiving mode before Yah due to the wonderful prophecy that Yeshayahu is absolutely certain will be the nation Israel in the ends of days. Chapters 11 and 12 are for Holy Israel, native and proselyte, not a remnant. I might even include MC and Ray as part of that. In chapter 12 and verse 1, we are grateful for Yah's love for us and his willingness to turn away from our transgressions if we will turn away from our sins. When he sees our repentance, he forgives us and forgets those sins which we have confessed and agreed with him about by turning away. He not only forgives and forgets them, which only he can do. When Yah forgives our sin, it becomes as if it had never occurred. Okay? When he forgives it and he forgets it, it's gone. Okay? It only stays in your mind. So you need to get rid of it too. Anyway. Amen. The opening words of verse 2 are, Hineni el Yeshuati. And in the next breath, Yeshayahu says, Yah Yehovah is my strength. My strength is a shortened form of the Hebrew 5810, Azaz, Zion, okay, interesting, <laughs> which is not a place that Dorothy visited twice, by the way, Azaz, get it, okay, now, <laughs> okay, to ponder or to absorb, to absorb and weigh impressions, that's what Azaz means. We do not readily lose those types of impressions. Elohim is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. Yah Yehovah is my strength, whom I praise and who is my song. Chapter 12 and verse 2 is an incredibly an incredible statement of Yeshayahu's wonder at Yah's loving kindness to him unto usward. For Izzy knows that he doesn't really deserve Yah's loving kindness any more than I or MC or Ray do, and he marvels at Yah's love for him as we do his love for any one or all of us. It's absolutely amazing that the that the creator of the universe, the 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 the, the Yah who gave us everything that there is, and then we turn our backs on him more often than not, still loves us. And, and came to die for us. It's absolutely amazing to me. This is love like you can't believe. Amen. It's love like, like I just can't put my mind around. Anyway, that's what I got through verse 2. Okay. 
Uh, Ray? I'm, I'm searching for something here on my soft. I'm searching for something here on my software. And of course, at the moment you want to find it, the soft, <laughs> the software flies the bird at you. And, that's, and all that's this, what maybe AI you guys, is for. Maybe you guys can remember. It's in the 20s in uh, Deuteronomy. I think it's around 26 something. There, there's a place that, that Moses is talking about. And basically, it's, it's when they come back into the land and it's talking about your first fruits. And when you bring them and uh, bring them, yep. the, there is a, a formulated speech that talks about my father was a wandering Aramean. Yep. You remember? Yep. And if we could pinpoint that because I, I think in, I think there's maybe, uh, it's actually in there more than uh, what once. I'm seeing here with the, well, there, there are a few, but, uh, I'm going to put one in the, uh, in the chat here, if I can find it. <laughs> what happened to it? Anyway, let's see. Oh, wait, I think it's 26. It's, um, yes, that's yeah, 2610, actually. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I'll read here with, with your permission, uh, uh, with this, but I think part of this is talking about, uh, what, what, what God is looking for as an appropriate, uh, uh, Thanksgiving from us. When, when you, it says, when you come into the land that Yehovah your God is giving you for an inheritance and you've taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of your fruits of your ground, your first fruit offering that you shall harvest from the land that Yehovah your Elohim is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that Yehovah your Elohim will choose. That's a whole nother subject there, uh, to, to make his name dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who's in the office at the time and say to them, I declare today that Yehovah your God, that I have come into the land that Yehovah, uh, uh, has swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar and this and that and, the, and, and all of this. So the scene is set up. So when the person comes into the land or when when we finally have the revelation, I mean, you can spiritualize this. Uh, I think it works on a whole bunch of different levels. But but then it goes on in 26.5 and it says, And you shall make a response before Yehovah your God. Uh, saying, and this in quotes, in other words, here is the formula that you say. This isn't you get to roll your own when you're standing there and hemming and hawing. Say this prayer. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt, and he sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great and mighty and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid upon us hard labor. Then we cried to Yehovah, our Elohim to our fathers, and Yehovah heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And Yehovah brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, the signs and wonders. And he brought us into a place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of my fruit of the ground, which you, O Yehovah, have given me. So there's this great offering of thanks where you recount what, what God is, what he has done for us, 
as as individuals and as a nation and as a people and and you just lay it all out and this is the thing that uh that he's looking for and it goes on to say and you shall rejoice uh in all the good that Jehovah your lord has given you and your house and we all get together and have a big old barbecue after that amen that sounds <laughs> I like paraphrase fun. the end but uh, yeah <laughs> but no. anyway I, this this is and I, and I read all of that just to, this is what I, I'm getting from, uh, uh, from a, a lot in this chapter is this great outpouring of, of thanks, uh, uh, kind of almost, almost liturgical in, in the way that it's written and the way that it's, it's brought forward that, uh, anyway, so for what that is worth. <laughs> Okay. Well, again, something to look forward to. And, and I think you're right. The, the thing that, as you were going through that, struck me, Ray, is the fact that uh, here is something that anybody that's been through a, a Passover Seder has heard. The, uh, the, uh, the assertion that's made, it's part of the standard Passover uh, Haggadah. And it says, my father was a wandering era yes. man, and we're going to have this thing to look forward to. Uh, everybody knows that it ends with next year in Jerusalem and so forth. So lots and lots of, of references there. Isn't it interesting that this um, particular prophecy connects so much of that right straight together? Yeah, I think so. Uh, that's why, as as uh, MP was talking and reading the, the comment from Ozana, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, this reminds me of that passage in Deuteronomy, uh, yep. you know. So, uh, and as you say, at, at uh, during the Passover Haggadah and, and all of this, yes, we re- are. It's our duty to remember uh, and to retell the story and all that, and to look forward to to it all happening next year in Jerusalem uh, and, and and all that. But but again, if we want to. If we want to bridge that and then begin to talk about the so-called Last Supper, I don't mean so-called because it didn't happen, but, but to the to again that that Passover meal where uh, Yeshua, I think everything went pretty much according to normal plan. He was acting as the patriarch that was leading the right. disciples through the through the the seder and all that, and it got to the third cup uh, that happens after the meal, and he makes sure everybody has bread. And he makes the blessing, and I don't think anybody is even blinking at this point in time. But it's when he takes the cup and blesses it and then says, this is my blood, blood, da, 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 that all of a sudden everybody in the room, because they've, they've been doing this all their life. They, they've done this, you know, the, 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 the Seder their whole lives. And right. That, 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 they, that they go, oh, this ding, is different. Ding, ding. Yeah. he's doing something different here. Wait, what's he doing? Hey, boss, what's going on? I mean, yeah. they're used to that, too. They've been asking him, hey, boss, what's going on <laughs> their whole career with him? But but it's it's like he's saying, basically, he's saying, yeah, this is the paradigm that was with me now, and especially what is going to transpire over the course of the next 72, 96 hours. This, this is going to change. The, the the way that this is going to work is going to change. You're not going to have to go to the priests to have access to the Father. You can go directly through me. Uh, you know, so I hope I haven't stepped on anybody's toes theologically, but that's, I, I just, and again, Mark, that, that comes at, uh, that's at that same time too. You know, it, it comes from that Passover time. 
Well, and sometimes if we step on yep, people's absolutely. theological toes, it's because Scripture has a tendency to do that. I always like to point that out. It's not like we shouldn't have been uh, <laughs> um, aware that it could happen. Well, you know, uh, people, uh, I guess I'm just saying that that, uh, that that that's how I see it. doesn't mean that I'm right and doesn't mean that that's what you have to believe. <laughs> right. But what we can do is we can check it. We can. Uh, that's one of the things I always encourage folks. Study to show yourself approved. Search out the scriptures for yourself. Be like the Bereans, Acts 17. See if these things are true. So that's why we go through this in such Amen. detail is, is uh, I encourage folks, uh, as you pointed out, Ray, you know, they, they yeah. quote the verse about the lion lying down with the lamb. And, and let's just go read what, what it really says. And it might <clears> be a bit different. And sometimes those differences are minor. And other times they make a whole world literally of difference. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Yep. Okay. Uh, we well, got we less got about, than a minute what, and a half. Minutes? What's that? We got about a minute and a half, two minutes. Yep. Go ahead. You want to you make any other comments, MP? Let me, let me give you the last of my notes for today, and that should take up that time. Okay. Notice that in verse 3, Yeshayahu charges the second, changes to second person objects. He goes from first person, Yah is my strength and salvation, to second person, with joy he shall draw. So who exactly is the beneficiary of Yah's mercy and loving kindness but us, as you and me? And I'm talking to everybody out there listening to this on the radio. You and me. The word joy is from the Hebrew 8342, and it is sus, uh, Yes, sus, anyway, to rejoice outwardly or to internalize and the expression of joy. In other words, whether we express your joy from Yah outwardly or inwardly, Yah sees your joy and takes joy in it. How, would, how could we not be joyful while drawing Yah's joy to drink down in, uh, into our souls? Okay, Amen. we're drawing his joy to drink into our souls. When we have been fu- uh, when we've been fulfilled in Yah's joy, that is Sason, verse four. Yes, we will sing songs and make his name exalted. In that day, when the wells of living water are flowing out of us, we will not be able to contain it. It's alive in- unto itself. Is how I read this. Verse 4 has four different ways that we will exalt Yah. All right. Well, we will exalt him, and uh, we'll say uh, we'll pick it up there next week. So, well, thanks, guys. Thanks, folks.